welcome to Future Facing Farms, a one-time podcast series on six Minnesota farms at the forefront of conservation and environmental stewardship. Hello, we've got a really cool farm to talk about in episode three. My colleague and friend Eric Newland is co-host for episode three, and I'm Nora Hurdle. We're reporters with the St. Cloud Times in central Minnesota, and this podcast is supported by the MIT Environmental Solutions Journalism Fellowship. You said this episode was about cover crops and biochar. I've heard of cover crops before, but what is biochar? You'll find out in just a few moments. Where's our farm in today's episode? We're going to Hugo, Minnesota, which is just northeast of Minneapolis-St. Paul. It's home to a farm um, that's linked to Dream of Wild Health. That's one of the oldest and longest operating Native American-led and focused nonprofits in the Twin Cities. What kind of crops do they grow and, and what do they do with them? A lot of vegetables, um, things that you would see in a farm share, and they do have a food share program. They set up at a couple farmers markets and they have uh, youth programs as well. Their mission is, and I'll quote it, to restore health and well-being in the Native community by recovering knowledge of and access to healthy indigenous foods, medicines, and lifeways. Dream of Wild Health, so they have those vegetables that they produce and distribute, but they also have a seed stewardship program, which I had not um, heard of before. The staff there cultivate special heirloom plants to increase the stores of those specific kinds of seeds. Their seed keeper, Jessica Green Deer, is also the farm manager. She showed me around when I went in September. I got to take a look at some of the photos that you took when you were out there. I saw a lot of crops I haven't seen before, um, especially those dark purple tomatoes. Those looked really cool. You can see the photos from this farm and the other farms we cover at sctimes.com. Yes, check them out. And the backstory of the organization is really interesting, and the organization itself is also growing. They added 20 acres last year to the initial 10-acre farm. So how long have they had the farm? Um, it was founded by Sally Auger um, in 1998. The organization inherited a seed collection from a Potawatomi elder named Cora Baker um, two years later in 2000. And the the organization has added to that collection through other donations and um, people sent them seeds from all over. So it takes those seeds and and produces more with the same genetic um, background. And they share that with communities that were the originators or the originating source of the seeds. Cool. And here's Jessica talking about the work that they do on the soil there. She's talking about what she learned from Sally Auger, the founder. And so what she had told me was that this space couldn't even hold um, ryegrass cover crop. Um, They would put down, they tried to incorporate lots of different cover crops and just like nothing would grow. Um, She said it was almost like it was just sand. You know, just talking with this neighbor actually, you know, he had a relationship with the previous homeowner. So um, he's like, oh yeah, he used to grow corn over there and he used to grow corn back there. So we're still sort of trying to build up, build up the soil, continue to build on what we have, um, and make improvements where we can. It sounds like their land's been pretty used up. Uh, what are they doing to improve the soil? 
So cover crops for sure. Um, I featured this farm in a story about environmental stewardship practices, featuring people who are motivated to enrich soil and ecosystems on their land kind of for its own sake. A buzzword for that is regenerative agriculture or soil health practices. And those things usually involve keeping a living plant in the ground year round, which would also be called a cover crop. Those practices involve minimizing soil disturbance like you would with a plow, and that practice is also called no-till. Regenerative agriculture also involves integrating livestock, like we talked about in episode one with Early Boots Farm. Um, And another aspect is increasing diversity, increasing the plants that are there. And Jessica talks about how some of these practices were around long before it was a hip concept or something that we called natural climate solutions. You know, it's something that all of our ancestors practiced at some point, you know, before the creation of tractors or steel implements, but we all had a form of regenerative agriculture. And of course, you know, like unfortunately now it's sort of trademarked. (laughs) It belongs with the people. You know, it's all about, uh, especially here, we talk about our relationship to the earth. Um, and so you can think about it as a, in a spiritual context of like, we're having a relationship with the earth. So, you know, like in, in order to have a good relationship, like, yes, we're being able to be gifted with this like bountiful harvest, but what are we giving back? And so thinking about it in that way, the better we take care of the earth, the better she's going to take care of us. Um, and of course, if we can start building up the soil, Um, and we have a good solid foundation of healthy soil, then when we have healthy soil, we have healthy plants. And we have healthy plants, we have healthy people, and healthy people equals a healthy planet. And so not to make it sound super cheesy about that, but it's um, thinking about how else we can build up that soil so we don't have to add the amendments and don't need to, Yeah, we don't have to put in so many different inputs that aren't meant to be put in there. I think the, you know, I'm not knocking organic farmers, but there are some organic farmers who maybe once upon a time were conventional. And so they're still on the mindset of like, this plant is about to emerge. So now I have to add, I have to feed them this Mm -hmm. or you know, they're at this life stage, so I have to give them some extra fertilizers so they can do this or they can grow faster or grow larger. We're not helping our plants become any stronger by doing that. Um, when we build up the soil, the soil's able to do all of that for us. I mean, to me, it makes sense, but it's, it's also wanting to make sure we get away from adding, adding more stuff. It's thinking of what else we can do, like with cover crops or Um, just even land management. It sounds like Jessica's advocating for more natural farming practices. Where did she get started with that? She did go through some training at the Rodale Institute, which has uh, is kind of home to organic agriculture research. She she really encourages people to grow some of their own food, even if it's a single plant. She's also an Army veteran. Um, She's a Ho-Chunk Nation tribal member from Baraboo, Wisconsin. And even though she, especially in growing season, she's at Dream of Wild Health every day overseeing their farm. She has a farm of her own, too, and she keeps ducks. Oh, cool. Yeah. My favorite part 
of the conversation with Jessica was about biochar. So what is biochar? It's essentially charcoal, burned up wood or manure or other materials like that, and it helps stabilize carbon in the soil. So does that help um, sequester carbon alongside planting more trees? Yes, and actually, um, from the reading that I've done, it's really effective in sequestering carbon in the soil. We've even incorporated a little bit of biochar here on this farm. And so biochar is essentially um, carbon sequestering element, but biochar actually was an element of indigenous farming. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say like, no, it's, it's all indigenous, like it's all rooted in indigenous knowledge. Um, but it actually is like there was, <laughs> I know even when I was coming up, I heard about the burn and slash or slash and burn farming, how native peoples did that. And I thought like, oh my God, that's so destructive. Like, why would you, why would you cut trees down and just burn it? Um, it was about regenerating the soil. And so I even at my home farm, when I do have wood ash, that goes into my garden too. It's another amendment, but if I can't, I would be afraid to burn. <laughs> There's... <laughs> I'd be afraid for that fire to spread. That would be one element of also helping to regenerate the soil and add those amendments back in. And so given that, when there was that char that was on the soil, but then also got incorporated in, the small carbon footprints that people had were then going right back into the soil. You know, it's thinking about um, instead of, I guess, breaking the cycle, it's making sure we're always cognizant of the cycle is that just like how we're doing here with the soil, like whatever we're taking from the earth, we're trying to put back. It's the same thing with carbon. It's a broken chain. And if we're able to reconnect that chain in any way, you know, whether it's biochar or other amendments, um, different cover crops that we can use or different farming methods and techniques, that's only going to help increase, increase and also strengthen that circle of going back into the earth. It sounds like humans have been using biochar to help soil regenerate for hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, and, and it stays in the soil or it keeps that carbon locked in the soil for, for a long time, for hundreds of years as well. Cool. Yeah, so thanks for talking about biochar with me. I loved revisiting this interview with you, Eric. I learned a new word today. Biochar, yeah. yeah. We're halfway through the series. In episode four, I'll be with Sarah Kocher again for a look at Jason Lorenz's farm in Morrison County, Minnesota. He's in a carbon market pilot program. And we're going to talk a little more about cover crops with him. If you want to hear more about these farms and the climate change solutions that they're working on, you can go to sctimes.com for more stories, videos, and photos. Thanks for joining us. I'm Eric Newland. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.